Hello, 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 and welcome to another edition of Dialed In with Tom Brenneman. Great to have you with us. Rolling into the weekend as we take this show on a Friday afternoon. We thank, as always, our producer engineer, Dave Armbruster. We thank the folks from the Believe Network for believing in this program and our good friend Mike Reed for composing the music for our program. We're bouncing around Major League Baseball, the season uh, rolling now into the month of June, second week of June, and a long way to go. In fact, still a long way to go even until the All-Star break. But one of the teams coming into the season that most felt like would be a legitimate contender for not only reaching the playoffs, but for winning the pennant and perhaps even the World Series, the Milwaukee Brewers. Now, they're in first place, but hanging on by a thread in the National League Central after opening up a pretty good lead the first month, month and a half. But all of a sudden, the wheels have fallen off. They've lost six in a row. And what is going on with the Batland Brewers? Well, Brian Anderson, longtime TV voice of the Milwaukee Brewers. You've seen him on so many other big-time sporting events in the NCAA tournament, in the NBA on TNT and TBS coverage of golf for TNT and Turner. He will be our guest next on Dialed In with Tom Brenneman. Since 1882, Children's Home of Northern Kentucky has been a lifeline for children and families in crisis. Now known as CHNK Behavioral Health, its team of doctors, nurses, and therapists impacts nearly 4,000 kids and families every year. An array of mental health services, including counseling, addiction treatment, and psychiatric residential care. CHNK also continues to care for abused and neglected youth who are in the state's custody. Right now, CHNK Behavioral Health is offering a free 10-minute conversation with a clinical therapist to help families dealing with the increased pressures caused by the ongoing pandemic. Visit www.chnk.org for more details. Or for the free conversation with a therapist, call 1-844-YESCHNK. Our good friend Brian Anderson, born in Austin, Texas in 1971. Hard to believe this guy is now, uh, as of just uh, a couple of days ago, I think 51 years young. Since 2007, he has called play-by-play for the Milwaukee Brewers on television since 08, he's called the Major League Baseball Playoffs on TNT, TBS. You've also seen his outstanding work on basketball. Calls the NCAA Tournament for Turner Sports as well as the NBA for TBS and TNT. Brian Anderson, welcome, my friend. I mean, are you finally starting to slow down a little bit after the NBA and now crossing over into baseball? Yeah, I think I think slow down is like from the outside would not be the word, but you know how it is. We when we get into our baseball schedule, that that feels normal, even though it's every day. But yeah, feels like more rhythmic. Um, so I am enjoying getting back into the baseball groove. I'm doing the the national game every Tuesday. We moved our our TBS package to Tuesdays from Sundays, so that's been cool. It's a Tuesday night primetime game, and then. Pretty much Wednesday through Sunday, I'm doing the Brewers, and you know it's like right where I want to be at a ballpark pretty much every day. So I'm enjoying that, and good to get back in a little bit of a normal rhythm after the madness of uh, March Madness in in March, and then 
the NBA playoffs for six weeks. You know, I used to get asked this question all the time, and 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 I really had a hard time answering this question because, you know, I, I think there are, at least for me, I can only speak for me in my experience, you know, th- there'd be some days where I would have had answer A and other days I'd have answer B and then other days it'd be answer C, D, and E. But people would ask me all the time, you know, at the end of the day, is there one you enjoy doing more than the other? And, and they're so uniquely different in, in what you're doing. Baseball... 162 games. I know you don't do them all, but you're working the overwhelming majority. Uh, it's a grind. It's long. If you've got a good team, great. If you've got a crummy team, it can, it can make for a long summer. Uh, NBA playoffs, uh, electricity, fun, um, uh, intense. Uh, the NCAA basketball tournament. Um, all of those things rolled into one, uh, along with with the youth and the beauty of, of quote-unquote, pseudo-amateur athletics. Uh, which one of the three? Are you able to nail it down? Is that an easy question for you to answer what you like doing the best? No, no, and I've asked you that question many times when I was just starting out, too. And my answer, I kind of settle on, and it's true, and it's authentic, but whatever I'm doing, yeah, I love doing. So, you know, my my perspective uh, was always, I, I spent nine years in the minor leagues, you know, just desperate to try to, to do this for a living and make enough money to make it a career. And, you know, so I don't take any of it for granted. I love whatever the assignment in front of me is. I think there's a lot more similarities changing sports and you, you know that cause you did it forever, but it is storytelling you know, at the end of the day, there the play-by-play is different, and the verbiage is different in the in the play-by-play. But those windows around the actual ball in play commentary, to me, feel the same. It feels the same. Maybe in the NBA, it's a little tighter, where you got to get those nuggets in a little faster because of the shot clock and the speed of the game. Mm-hmm. But it's still essentially the same kind of delivery, where there are you know, there's two the two parallel tracks. There's the play-by-play train track and the one that runs next to it is all the stuff you say in between the actual play. So it doesn't feel much different for me. Um, So I enjoy that part of it. So I don't have a favorite because of that. I I enjoy like learning about players and learning their stories and trying to pull out what I think I can share in a quick, you know, informational way, informative way. So it, all feels cool to me. You know, I, I think everybody makes it to this level. Um, first of all, everybody has a story to tell and especially every athlete who makes it to the top level, NBA, high level college, major league baseball. I mean, they are, they are like the, the chosen ones in so many ways, uh, from their hometowns. And so I'm really fascinated by that. And, um, I love digging in and trying to learn more about people and players and the players we cover. So the, the, the answer is I love whatever is in front of me. And I really do mean that. I, I enjoy um, calling all the sports. The, the most comfortable thing I do is baseball, which I think for people who haven't grown up in the game like you and I have, that's the hardest sport mm-hmm. for them to do because it's a, it's a challenge. You know, I remember talking to Marv Albert about that. He said he would never do baseball, even though he loves baseball, but he would never do it because of the work. And it's difficult to – to fill those gaps in, in a four hour game like we have now. So, but I don't feel that way. It just feels natural to me to step into a baseball booth and call a baseball game anytime. So, you know, the, the comfortable sock is baseball, but everything else I enjoy being a part of uh, whenever I get the assignment. 
You know, I, I'm kind of curious. Uh, you, you know, you talked about guys have a story to tell, and 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 it seems like, and I've never done the NBA, uh, have done football, and so much of football is quote unquote structured, meaning that you know there are only certain amount of times, certain days, where you can actually go talk to the guys, unless you know them personally and you spend any time with them away from the field. Uh, we were lucky on network television where there were prearranged meetings, so you would be able to spend some time with Brett Favre, Tom Brady, fill in the blank, coach here, defensive coordinator there. Baseball lends itself, or did till the pandemic, where you could you could really have much more exposure to them just on on way the schedule lays out. Do you find any noticeable difference? And I know it's it, it's hard to probably answer this question, but. Have you noticed any difference between the NBA player and the MLB player as people? Oh, yes. Yes. Major. That's probably the biggest the biggest difference of, of all the athletes. So, you know, I did the NFL for a couple of years for CBS, and I struggled with the NFL. Like, it, it was hard for me to do. The prep was hard. I never felt connected to the game. Uh, I plopped in in week seven after the baseball playoffs. But I, I just – growing up around baseball where you do have access and there is more, I don't know, the game, the nature of the game's different. The nature of the athlete's different. Um, and you're not always talking about the game. You know, you're not always going in there for information with a notepad. It's a lot of, it's just like, how's your family yeah. find it out again, find out these stories. I think baseball players are much more willing to go there and have some of those conversations. Uh, baseball players will ask you like, how's your family? Uh, I don't get that much in the NBA. You know, we it is very regimented when you talk to guys. It's usually in front of a camera. It's usually arranged by media relations. It's uh, you get your time with the coach. So like they know they're coming in there to talk to an announcer, and everything that is said is probably going to be on the air. So they're much more guarded mm-hmm. uh, with us, with me especially. Now I do notice a difference when, say, I hang around Reggie Miller. Um, players are much uh, easier around me when Reggie's with me. Sure. So I understand that. Like, I mean, the, you know, Reggie's one of them. I mean, there is that fraternity of those who played and uh, a little cautious around those who haven't played. But, you know, the NBA, I don't, as a play-by-play announcer, I don't really engage much with the players. Like, my analyst does, and it's so much more of an analyst-driven sport. Mm-hmm that I'll try to talk to a guy here or there in the layup line or try to go out and talk to the officials maybe, but there's just not a whole lot of time. We don't even get to the arena until 90 minutes before the game. It's just all very tight, structured, A to B to C. Now you're on the air. Um, The game doesn't really lend itself to a lot of storytelling. So what you do learn is, um, you know, things that maybe the, the media relations department can share or maybe a player wants to, developed some of the off-court stuff he's doing, but uh, totally different experience in baseball. Um, you know, I, I just came over on the bus, and, you know, you're just you're sharing life with these guys every day when you're in a baseball circle, and I think that, you know, 20% of it you may use on the air, but mostly you're just, you know, interested. I was just talking to Lorenzo Kane on the bus. His wife was a gymnast at Oklahoma, and we're talking about the uh, softball World Series. Oklahoma just won the national championship, so you know, I didn't know. I didn't know that connection. So that those are all the little things you just kind of absorb. So I, I feel much more comfortable around baseball players than any other athletes. Um, but I think there's a huge difference between baseball and NBA. 
All right, let's get to the Brewers, a team you see on a regular basis. They've now lost six in a row going to the taping of the show on a Friday, uh, team opening a, a series in Washington, D.C. on this Friday night. Uh, they've been shut out three times during the streak. What's happened to the offense? Well, the offense is, a, is an issue and has been for a couple of years now, and they've really, um, you know, I think Christian Yelich not being – the kind of player that they hoped he would be when they signed him to, you know, a 10 year deal essentially after his uh, MVP and then MVP runner up season in 18 and 19. So that hurts to start with always. That's because he is the highest paid player. He's the centerpiece. He's kind of what everybody builds around. Still a great teammate, still an excellent outfielder, all of that, but he's just not that kind of player anymore. So um, they really haven't been able to, to build their offense the way they want. Now their pitching staff is great. So they've been able to, to work around that, but those days when they don't pitch and they give up some runs and in this losing streak, um, you know, they've given up a lot of runs here. Mm -hmm. So when they're not holding teams under four runs, uh, they're usually going to lose those games because they don't hit enough. Uh, also the injuries are part of it. They've lost, they just got Willie Adamas and Hunter Renfro back. Those were two main pieces of their offense. So they just returned in the last couple of days. They each homered on Thursday. So I think there's a, an understanding that they'll get a little bit better offensively uh, when those guys are back and get their rhythm back. But it's not going to be a team that's going to bang. I mean, they're just not. They're just not going to be that kind of team. Uh, they're going to have to pitch lights out. They have a terrific pitching staff that could do that. But right now the pitchers are in a little bit of a funk and they're not scoring runs. Um, so, you know, you're, I, I never dreamed that they'd lose six in a row. I just didn't feel like because of the talent and their starting rotation, they weren't going to go into a long losing streak. Um, but, but here we are. So now they start a series in Washington, DC against the nationals. And, you know, I do think there's a hot streak in them. I do think they're the best team in the division. I don't think they're the best team in the national league, but, um, they should be a playoff team and, then you take your chances with this pitching staff in the postseason. Um, so I think there's still a lot of hope and high expectations about what they can be. I, I want to follow up on Yelich a little bit because, you know, w when he came to the Brewers and obviously has the MVP season and, and you know, he's really struggled with some injuries uh, the last couple of years uh, and, and, you know, he, he's hitting 220. I think since he hit for the cycle against Cincinnati back in early May, he's batting around 170, uh, even getting to a point where they move him into the leadoff spot. I know he's stealing some bases. What what was his reaction or, or, or what was anybody's reaction about making that kind of move? Yeah, no, he's got no issues with it at all. I mean, he's happy to, to uh, hit wherever they want him to hit, play wherever they want him to play. His skills defensively have diminished, so he doesn't throw the ball well. He still can go get them, and, you know, he's very fast uh, still, stealing a lot of bases. But, you know, he was a gold-glove outfielder at one point, but he really can't throw. A lot of the rotational stuff is a problem. I think it all stems from – there's two big issues, in my opinion, and this goes back to our previous discussion about, like, getting to know players. And what I know about Christian – um, number one, he's got a chronic back issue. So yeah. that's a real problem that he has to do con constant maintenance on to get himself on the field every day. You know, it's a, 
he does it and he plays mostly pain free, but there are days when he's, you know, he's limited in what he can do. So that's never going to go away. Um, they constantly have to, you know, keep him in a position where he can't play. So he rarely takes batting practice on the field. Most of his BP is, um, in the cage, it's limited swings. It's um, a lot of tape study, which he's always done. So that's one thing, and that's a big thing. Uh, the other piece of that is he's the personality that getting a big contract, he wants to fulfill that contract and live up to it every day. And when he's not, he's not the guy that can say, oh, well, I made my money, I'm good. Mm-hmm. He actually puts a lot of pressure on himself and absorbs a lot of that probably to a fault, like Craig Council's constantly having to talk to him about, hey, you don't have to be 2018 MVP Christian Yelich. We don't expect that anymore of you. Like that day's gone. And if you are for weeks or months at a time, great. But um, I don't think he buys that. You know, he comes from a pretty tough family. His brother served in the military and served overseas. And, you know, I think he did a couple of tours of duty in in a war, war zone. And I mean, I think he looks at that and says, I got a brother who was living in a dirt hole eating rations, and I'm here as a Major League Baseball player. I should be better. And I think he puts a lot of undue pressure on himself. And so I think he's fighting that right now. He's going to have to come to terms with the fact that he's not an MVP caliber player anymore. Um, And I think that's hard on him because he's being paid as an MVP caliber player. Mm Mm-hmm. He wears it from the fans. You know, Milwaukee fans are 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 as gracious as any fan base yep. you could have, but there are times when the boos come out when he hits a ground ball to second when the base is loaded. Like, I think that bugs him a lot. And so I think this is all part of the evolution, and hopefully he can get to a better place um, mentally, physically, and then he can just be a productive major league player. So. That's kind of the way I see it. I don't know if he would agree with all that, but that's the way I see it. Well, the other guy, the name you brought up earlier, having the conversation with him on the bus today, going to the ballparks, Lorenzo Cain. Now, you know, he's sitting around 170. Um, mm-hmm. I, I've really never known this guy, but just watching him play, I always felt like that's the kind of guy I want on my team. He's a gamer. He's always appeared to be a team guy. And as you know, sometimes from the outside looking in, I'm not on the inside and never have been on a club where he played, so I could be wrong on all those things. But when I just watch him play and his enthusiasm and all those kinds of things, but look, he's having a tough time. Um, And and you mentioned about some of the other guys getting healthy and, and some younger players maybe getting a chance. How much longer do you think they continue to run him out there or, you know, I, I know that the, he's been talked to that maybe his time won't be as much. But how do you think he's going to handle all that? Man, that's a great question. And uh, what I see in Lorenzo, and I knew him long ago when he was a Brewers prospect and came I think he made his debut with you in Cincinnati, actually, in a game you were there. But then he got traded. He had a great run with the Royals. I just – I see a player who is resigned to – to be good with a career that's ending. It reminds me a lot of his manager, <laughs> who yeah. you know well. Yeah. But there were days when Craig Council was at the end of his career when, you know, when the, he just don't have that fire. You, you, He's still a great guy, great teammate. Everybody loves him. He's a sage. He's a Yoda. He's still an exceptional defender and still one of the fastest players on the team, but he can't hit right now. He's just, he's not a productive player. And, 
I don't know. I, I, I just I feel like Lorenzo Cain has accomplished enough in this game with a World Series championship, with an ALCS MVP, and he's looking at his career. He didn't even start playing baseball until he was 15. And I think he's got kids and young kids who are starting to play sports now. And I think he's ready to move on. That could all change if, if, if the closer we get to a finish line, maybe, and maybe you can catch uh, fire with him knowing that the end is near. But right now we're in June and, you know, the season must look like a mountain to him right now. Mm-hmm. And he's struggling every day. So um, things could change, but right now I just, his, I don't see it. I, I see a, a player that is finishing out a, a contract. This is year five of a five-year deal. And I don't, I mean, he's on the late bus. He's like, he's one of those guys that's like, I got a foot out the door uh, from what I see. Um, Hopefully that'll change, but it doesn't mean he can't have value. And I know he does and wants to live up to the contract. And he certainly is that guy. And he's been very helpful for all these young outfielders. The Brewers have quite a few in the minor leagues too. He was great with all of them in spring training. And this, this kid Tyrone Taylor looks like he's going to be a real player now. So I think I think he's great for Taylor in that role, but I don't know, man. I don't see it, Tom. I, I okay. just think his his career's over, like it's over. Um, pitching wise, um, some injuries certainly here of late uh, to Brandon Woodruff, uh, and well, let's start with him. I mean, look, th- th- this guy's mm-hmm. a stud, and um, it, it doesn't appear uh, that this is a serious thing. I- am I accurate in that? Correct. High ankle sprain. Um, a little bit of a setback on just some like body soreness trying to come back. So, but no, not, not serious. Even Freddie Peralta, who's going to be shut down for a couple of months with a shoulder issue. They're even saying that's not a concern either. They're going to shut him down and give him a full ramp up. But those are, you know, two fits of your A plus starting rotation that are gone right now. Um, so yeah, they'll, I think the Brandon will be back much earlier than Freddie but both guys are expected to be fully healthy and contributors, you know, for the stretch run and obviously in the postseason. I got to tell you, I mean, I'm not calling anybody a liar, but, uh, you know, if you're around baseball long enough and, 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 you know, one of the guys, if there is such a thing as an arms race uh, in this country, when guys have to have Tommy John surgery, you know, they go to James Andrews or they come here to Cincinnati to see Tim Kremchek. And, yeah. and knowing Tim Kremchek very well for a long time, and he and I have had this discussion for a long time. You know, an elbow, they can put that thing back together in a heartbeat. A shoulder, I don't believe any of them. And, and I don't say that in a malicious way. I, I don't believe anybody when they tell me a shoulder is going to be not a big deal. If you're shutting down somebody for two months, that's a big deal. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and I I, I, it's amazing I they that. really haven't been able to have that breakthrough yet with the shoulder the way they have the elbow. Yeah, and I think what they would say, what because we asked that same question, in this case it's where it is. The position of it is not that rotator cuff concern. Yeah, so I think it's more of the big fat muscle, you know, the muscle yep. um, that they feel like they can uh, treat, rehab, build back up, be normal. I mean, who knows, though? Like, you never want to tell a player that, I mean, a surgery is no option. So I know that was off the table immediately. So that that was a good sign. Yeah. And then with Woodruff, it's a high ankle sprain. I think that was just something that they feel like will be no problems for him moving forward. Sure, sure. Um, The good news in all of that, though, is that it has 
opened the door for a couple of young guys that have been so impressive, especially the guy going on tonight, Friday night, as we record this, Aaron Ashby. So the Brewers, man, they've got pitching out the wazoo. It's unbelievable how good their pitching staff is. Um, Six, seven, eight deep down into AAA. Everybody they brought up to fill in for these guys has been great. So I think ultimately if you get a – you only need four – four pitchers, four starters in a playoff scenario, if you make it that far, mm-hmm. um, you're going to have like a dominant bullpen that already has two dominant pieces at the end. And then you're going to add a couple of starters maybe. So if everybody's healthy and they get everybody back, like they're saying, and they could probably even withstand losing one of those guys and still being okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, Brandon Woodruff was fifth in the Cy Young voting last year. Yeah. He's, He's great. Corbin Burns is a Cy Young winner. Uh, so I think that's going to be what carries them. Um, and there's a huge amount of optimism on all these guys that are, have been there who are relatively young and then all these guys that are popping up right now um, that they can rely on. Uh, final two questions. Uh, earlier this week, Josh Hader proved that he's not a robot, that he is human after <laughs> all. Uh, a Major League Baseball record tying 40 consecutive scoreless appearances. You know, I, you know, I, I wear out friends of mine. You know, reliving the old days of watching, you know, Johnson and Schilling every five days, and and what it was like to watch them as starters. Um, Haters' run has just been unbelievable uh, to mm-hmm. watch it. I mean, you almost had to be. I'm, I'm not going to say a state of shock, but I mean, there had to be some level of shock when you saw him give up not only runs but give up, what, two home runs in that game, right? Yeah. Yeah, two home runs, one on a 97-mile-an-hour neck-high fastball, which tells you there's a little ambush quality there, and then the other on a shin-high slider. (laughs) Right, right. uh, My first thought was, well, surely he's giving away pitches. He's tipping (laughs) pitches or something. Who hits that pitch? But it happens. He's he's been in one of those runs as a brewer that is – and I and I don't say this lightly either. It is Mariano Rivera. There's no and doubt about it. I don't I don't think you can sustain it like Mariano. But who knows? I mean, the guy. What's really freaky about him is how athletic he is to throw a crossfire delivery, really unusual delivery that's hard to see as a hitter. But most pitchers can't command the way he does throwing like that. It takes really great strength and core strength and back and lower legs and all that to be able to pitch like he does, but pitch with the command, you know, the repeatable Mm -hmm. uh, process of that. That's what's been amazing. I think everybody recognized from the beginning when he was even a starting pitcher in the Astros organization that he's as funky and nasty as it gets, but can he hold up? He's not a big guy, but he's like country strong, wiry guy that's been able to figure it out and probably better than anybody with that kind of delivery crossfire three quarters. I mean, he steps nearly to the first base dugout and all you see is his back. And then as a hitter, what I've heard is you're scrambling to try to find some release point that feels like it's coming out of second base. Mm -hmm. Um, And he maintains it. And so he's only pitching one inning at a time. Now that's been a big difference. Uh, When they first started using him, he was the multi-inning kind of the, remember the Andrew Miller type role. And that was good for him. Um, but he, he and Devin Williams at the back of the bullpen are 
the best one-two punch in baseball. Um, and that's what it, one of the main reasons why the Brewers have a chance to potentially win a World Series. Even with not much of an offensive group, they have a chance to play and win very low-scoring games. So when Josh Hader gives up a couple of homers in a 2-1 game, you know, it's like, man, the world's coming to an end. Right, he'll right. He'll be right back on the horse. And, um, yeah, no, no, I, I don't – he's not hurt or there's nothing wrong with him. And I love the, the fact that he answers all the questions after he blows the saves. And then the next day he's just a normal guy. He totally absorbs all of um, the negative part of that job as well. And he is – he is the epitome of the short memory guy. He's just a great personality, great person. Got a baby on the way. That's going to shut him down for probably a week or two, but he's got a child on the way in uh, in a couple of weeks. So other than that, man, he's everything you could ever dream of. Last question I want to ask you, and you made reference to him earlier, and I have known him personally and professionally for a long, long time, and that's a Brewers manager, Craig Council. I I, I really believe, and I don't just say this because I like the guy personally because I always refer to him as a curmudgeon. I like his wife a hell of a lot more than I like him. But, <laughs> for uh, sure. Yeah, I mean, Michelle's the best, and, and she's fun, and she smiles, and Craig's cranky, and, and, and occasionally smiles. But And I would say that to his face. He knows that. But, but um, you know, I really think this guy's one of the top managers in the league. Um, you can get into that whole debate about what what uh, difference a manager makes for a major league club and how many wins, you know, you know that whole debate and that whole thing. And 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 I'm just curious um, with with counsel, um, you know, outside of the X's and O's, and I, and I really believe a lot of guys can be very good at X's and O's. I, I think that the guys that separate themselves from the pack are oftentimes guys who aren't afraid. Uh, to play a gut feel or a hunch, that can blow up in your face, especially when you get in the postseason. I know Craig made the decision last year to take the pitcher out after only three innings or a couple of innings and, and, and that whole thing. I get it. I don't want to rehash all that. But for your money, being around the team day in and day out, um, is there anything that you would pinpoint to what you believe or you feel or you see that makes him such an outstanding manager? Yeah, I do. I, I think uh, what is not talked about often and should be is the relationship and the building of the relationship between counsel, David Stearns, who runs baseball operations, his general manager, Matt Arnold, and the owner, Mark Adonacio. We, all, we, we always leave the owner out, <laughs> but you know how it works in Milwaukee. I mean, he's a pretty strong presence, Mark no Adonacio. No doubt about that. it old school one like he he's the principal owner who is in charge and makes decisions and owns the majority of the team so you're not dealing with a group or a board or so i think more than anything else craig's a great field manager first of all um he's a win away from becoming the all-time winningest manager in brewers history as a matter of fact they're on a six-game losing streak so he can't quite get there yet but um so the numbers will bear that out. He's uh, successful in the playoffs, and every time you manage in the playoffs, you learn a little bit more. But the reason why the Brewers have been able to go to the playoffs since the 18th season um, is because of that relationship between manager, general manager, president, and owner. And I think Craig and David Stearns and Mark all do – a great job fostering that relationship because they know it's important. But you look at every winning organization in any sport, and I was around the Spurs for 12 years, 
And I saw that firsthand, you know, first with Red McCombs to Greg Popovich. Uh, then it was then it was Peter Holtz of Greg Popovich as GM and head coach, and then R.C. Buford as GM. Like, I've seen it. Like, I've seen players don't have the entry port when the, the three at the top are so well connected. And I, I don't mean to, like, knock players. But when the players understand their role and they're making a lot more money than most of the coaches and managers, uh, the stars are anyway, if there's no entry port uh, where they can complain or want to get things their way and that, that group is tight, everything else falls into place. And that's what the Brewers have. And I would say they never had that until Craig Council took over. He had spent time in the front office. And people forget Craig Council was already the manager when David Stearns was hired as the GM, Craig council was involved in the interview process for the new GM, David Stearns, who got the job in 15 and ultimately has become the president. So I think there's a great relationship there. And I think they, you know, they have defined roles where Mark's providing the resources. David is providing the players and Craig manages the game. And that is not the case in most places right now, as you know, and it's like one of the most frustrating things to watch when the front offices are running the game for managers. Um, it's hard to get a feel for how things operate, but I can tell you in Milwaukee, it's a, it's a very um, defined roles on how they operate. And I think that's why they've had all this success. I really do. Players know it too. Well, Brian, I can't thank you enough for your time. I know you're busy getting ready for a game tonight against the Nationals. Best of luck. Uh, I certainly hope Craig can get that win and uh, the Brewers can snap this losing streak and, and continued success to you. And God bless you and your family. Your daughter just graduating from Marquette University. Very exciting. And so um, all the best, <laughs> my friend. Thanks for the time. Uh, it's always a pleasure. Anytime. Great to hear your voice, Tom. Thank you, buddy. Brian Anderson, kind enough to join us from Washington, D.C. He's on the road with the Milwaukee Brewers right now. And uh, you got the lowdown on the Brew Crew. We'll be checking in on what else is happening around the National League next week. We thank Dave Armbruster, our producer-engineer. I'm Tom Brenneman. Till next week, you're dialed in. Have a good weekend. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.